you are fearfully and wonderfully made. When you think about the body, it's quite amazing, and one of the instruments in the body, the heart, is beyond explanation. 11 ounces of muscle that beats 100,000 times per day. Already, since I've begun speaking, your heart has been beating maybe 40 or 50 times already. And it's doing this to keep your body alive. It's part of a vascular system that comprises 60,000 miles of veins and arteries. That's two and a half times around the earth. It's quite amazing. Even though there's only six quarts of blood in you, the heart is pumping what's equivalent to 2,000 gallons of blood through your body every day. It's amazing. It's just doing it. It's moving, making this happen. It starts beating three weeks after conception, and at that moment, it's the size of a comma. And today, in your chest, it's probably the size of a fist, 11 ounces. And throughout your whole life, it never rests. You do become aware of your heart if it decides to rest. (laughs) Or if there's a complication. But it's just an absolute miracle. I mean, there's a part of me that just wants to play for a little bit. I mean, it's quite crazy that you have this muscle in your body that is doing this all the time. Well, if that's true, how much more amazing the spiritual heart? Think about it for a moment. In our spiritual heart, the very inner being of who we are, Uh, I've been having conversations with a medical doctor these last couple months, and we've been talking about the inner person versus the outer person. He's trying to wrestle his way into a deeper relationship with the Lord. He knows as a physician there's more than just this. He's having a hard time getting his mind around it, but the heart is incredible. Think of the power of love. Think about it. The concept of being smitten in love. I mean, how does that happen? The the nature of love for our children, and even beyond that, adopted children who are not a part of our biology, there's something that happens in there where you transfer this unique love. At the other side, think about the power of hate. Think of how something can get lodged in our heart that will make no sense whatsoever to the people looking on and will cause us to do things that are unthinkable. Think about those two in contradiction. A marriage that's moving along so well where all of your affection is there and then all of a sudden something happens where unforgiveness wraps itself around the heart and what was before kindness turns into just unbelievable bitterness. spiritual heart is incredible. It's the doorway to God. None of us experience God primarily through our physical bodies, though He manifests Himself through our, our physical bodies. We experience Him through our heart. But at the same time, it's a doorway to incredible vice. We all want us like to have our heart start chasing after the wrong thing and how it can actually almost start to beat unto itself. Are you with me? I, you know, I, I had to say this week, I've never really stopped and really thought about how amazing the spiritual heart is. 
And it wasn't until I started thinking about the physical heart. The Bible mentions the heart 700 times. So it's obviously very important that the heart be lined up. And it's not speaking about the physical heart. It's speaking about the spiritual heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with vigilance, for it, from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Three times in Scripture, we're told to seek the Lord with all of our heart, to love the Lord your God with all of our heart, to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Why does the Scripture keep calling us to have our heart completely fixed? Because the prophet Jeremiah reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We come to our summer series on King David. I love our summer series where we go back to the narrative of Scripture and we see God working with His people. And we begin with this one declaration that could probably be the greatest accommodation that anyone has ever received. The Lord says of David, He was a man after my own heart. And we're going to explore it over the course of these weeks about what it means to be a man or a woman after God's own heart. Now, I want to remind you that the Bible is not a self-help book. It's primarily a gospel book which says if we will allow God to do something with our heart, we'll then be in a place to cooperate with Him to operate into that. But once we recognize the truth of the gospel, the Word of God is vibrant unto itself, has the ability to cut inside and to correct our hearts and make them alive for the things that God wants to do with us. And so today we introduce our series, David, a man after God's own heart. Let me just read the scripture again. I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. So let me give you some context on the story of David. Uh, when you read the Bible, it's important to read it as the story of God's interacting with his people. The great thing about the Bible, it's written so much in narrative, is it invites us into the story. In fact, Paul, in writing to two different churches, reminded us that these things were written down not just to simply record history, but to give us something that would be fruitful in our lives. To the church in Corinth, he said, these things have been written down as examples, written down for our instruction so that we might escape temptation. So the Bible comes with a warning. So as we go into David's life, there'll be warnings that the Holy Spirit will give us about how to get a distracted heart and a heart that's not connected with God. Paul, in writing to the Church of Romans, said the same thing. Whatever was written was written for our instruction that we would have endurance and encouragement so that we would have hope. So the Bible warns us on one side, but the other side, it's giving us hope. In telling the story of David, the promise is there. We can have a heart after God. Now, that's exciting. You don't seem so excited. I think you're where I was at when I was thinking about it this week, stunned about the importance of the heart spiritually. And so the biblical record is inviting us into this space. David is one of the central figures of that text. 
His name occurs over a thousand times in the biblical text, more than anyone else, even more than the name Jesus. In 28 of the 66 books, he's the forerunner of the Messiah. He lived a thousand years before Jesus. We're talking about a person who lived 3,000 years ago. We don't talk about people from this church who lived 100 years ago. 3,000 years ago, because of one reason, he had a heart after God, and God used him. He built an empire from Egypt to Euphrates, and God's most important city, the city where the Messiah would be revealed, bears his name. It's the city of David. And so, the fact is, is that Jesus is dripping off of every one of these pages. Everything is in anticipation of Jesus, and everything afterwards is speaking back about Jesus, David is the most central character besides Jesus, setting up the Jesus story in a very significant way. Now, in his time, he is one who begins the process of turning wayward people back to God. Just quick in his history, the time of the judges, it says that all lawlessness was moving throughout the land, and the people had begun to stray. In fact, it said for hundreds of years, the voice of the Lord had not been hit, heard. Uh, we can trace it in the timeline, probably 300 years. Could you imagine 300 years of not hearing the voice of the Lord? But when it always seems like God is distant, He's behind the scenes and He's waiting to enter in and He finds someone that's going to be the vessel. There's a woman who's barren. Her name is Hannah. She prays for a son. God gives her a son. His name is Samuel. He's the prophet who begins hearing from God. In the same time, the people are saying, our problems is not necessarily our lawlessness, but the other nations have a king and we don't have a king. Give us a king. And the first king comes and his name is Saul. He has all the same equipment that David has in becoming king. He's anointed by the Holy Spirit, but we discover in the story that his external charm and his internal void of character lead him away. And Samuel goes and confronts King Saul, and this is what he says to King Saul. You are about to lose your throne because the Lord has sought a man after his own heart. So what's declared in the book of Acts was spoken by Samuel. Samuel then goes, finds David, and anoints him. We'll deal with that next week. And the ongoing story is the struggle of David to live out his identity as a man after God's own heart. Now, here's where it gets complex. My father-in-law could not stand David. We had several conversations around this. It bothered him that David was named a man after God's own heart. Well, why did it bother him? Because David was a murderer. David had a habit of seducing other men's wives. David had a blunt, was a blood-stained warrior. Pastor Nathan has reminded us he was a terrible father. His family was a mess. He offered mercenary service to Israel's archenemy. He was a ruthless a liar. He was far more decisive in his sin than he was as a king. So how does this guy get the title 
a man after the heart of God. And so I went on this journey this week. Yeah, we know he was a warrior. We know all the good things he did, but it seems to be conflicting. Think about it for a moment. If the U.S. had a president who went after one of his cabinet members' wives and then put him on a plane and had him blown out of the sky somewhere down over the ocean and then spent trying the rest of his time trying to cover it up, you, you get my point? How can this be a man after God's own heart? So I want to invite you into an exercise with me this morning. In your bulletin, there's an image. And this image allowed me to begin unlocking some thoughts. What's it mean to be a man or a woman off of God's own heart? This is Chagall's uh, painting, David with Harp. Now, we could have chosen Michelangelo's statue where David's strong. Uh, we could have chosen the fresco in the Vatican, which shows him more powerful. But Chagall's image captured my attention. So, I want to let you feed into this a little bit. Look at it for a second. Some of you are looking at me. Look at it for a second. Holy Spirit, would you speak through image to us now? In the same way you speak through the beauty and the wonder of your word, you speak to us through creation and co-creation. Say something to our hearts, even if it's not words spoken. Amen. So I'm just going to ask you, what hit you? Okay, so crown, face, and the beard almost seems like Jesus. He looks sad. Repentance, say more. Okay? There's a depth to the look there. What's that? Holding the instrument over his heart. Hmm. Looking away. You know, powerful people look at you. He's looking away. You see the crosses in the heart? Yep. Ears exposed and listening. Wow, there's blood on the hand going up to the harp and it turns. What else? The heart is downcast. Shame. There's two things that caught me about this uh, painting. One is the brilliance of the color. There's something brilliant about David's life, both in its sin and in its salvation. But when you look at the color, 
the part that we should be, the part that we celebrate most, his crown is faded purple. And we know purple is the color. It tells me that David didn't take value in his position. That his heart was driven towards worship far more than his position. The second thing that captured me is that his eye is wide open. That's a very unusual eye to have in that spot. And it immediately reminded me of Genesis 3 when it says, They tasted of the apple and their eyes were wide open. And it reminded me of Luke 24 when it says, When Jesus broke the bread with the two on Emmaus Road, their eyes were wide open. So to start this series, there are two things of David that I believe make him a man after God's own heart. The first was a spiritual intensity of life. He was alert to his heart. His life calls us to be people that are pursuing God to know everything in our life. In his moments of struggle, he inquires of the Lord. There's two stories of David we're not going to tell in this series. The one is this. The Lord says to him, I'm about to have you lead the army in to beat the Philistines in battle. And and, uh, David says, it says of the scripture that David inquired of the Lord if this was true. The Lord said, go. David goes and tells his band of warriors, we're going to go and fight the Philistines. And they say, it's not really a good idea. And so the scripture says, and David inquired of the Lord again. He was willing to check his own heart when he heard other things from other people to be sure that he was hearing what God was calling him to do. You see, when God wants to do something, he'll find somebody whose heart's ablaze for him and he'll put his task in that person and they'll go and do it. David was intense in his spirituality to know God. We get all these great psalms because of his intensity of pursuing God. The second thing that made him a man after God's heart was his humility. God was everything in his lens. When David has success, all you hear about from him is the Lord. And when David repents... It's because God has exposed the very nature of his heart. David didn't live for himself. He lived ultimately for a greater purpose in life. He lived for others. The other story that we won't deal with this summer because we did it a couple summers ago is the story of Mephibosheth. Do you remember this story? David becomes king. When you become a king in the ancient world, the former family runs because the only thing you do when you become king is wipe out the other family's kings. One of the nurses picks up one of Saul's children and starts running. It's Mephibosheth, and she falls, and he's lame. And David, later in life, out of his covenant with Jonathan, starts searching for the family of Saul. Now, in the ancient times, if a king from the previous reign began seeking for your family, you were afraid. Because this meant the end of it. But David wanted to bless. 
When he finds Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth says this, uh, I am crippled in my feet. I am like a dead dog before you. And then the scripture says, and Mephibosheth ate at the king's table for all of his days. There was a kindness to his heart that flowed out of the humility to think more highly of other people than himself. This is the one who goes before us. Now, as the one who comes in the Messiah's line, we have much more access to God to have that kind of heart. And so as we start this series this summer, I simply want to ask, how's your heart? I'm not talking about your physical heart. You have a medical doctor that will take care of that. How's your spiritual heart? Jeremiah, the same one who told us that the heart is deceitful, who can know it, also said that a new covenant was coming in Jesus, the one who will come out of the Messiah's line, the one who's not afraid to associate himself with sinners. That new covenant would mean that our hearts of stone would become hearts of flesh. And there's a chance to start over no matter where our heart is at. So I speak to the hard hearts this morning, would you become hearts of flesh? Because I know some of you still have hard hearts. I'm not judging you, I just want you to have a heart of flesh. And so today, invite God to give you a new heart. If there's any doubt in your mind whether you have a heart of flesh or a heart of stone, just ask for it. It's really good on this side of stone-heartedness, having a heart of flesh. Paul will say to the church, once our heart is enlightened, reviving us, that our hearts would be enlightened so that we would know the love of God to us. How wide and long and deep and bright it is. The invitation this summer is to have a heart that vibrates and beats with the life of God. I went to college with a man by the name of John Bailey. We're both 57 years old. We were freshmen together. We played basketball together. Um, I had the fortune of being a starter, and he had the unfortunate of being on the bench. Uh, John made me the player I was because I would play for 40 minutes on Tuesday and Thursday night, and Wednesday morning, John would show up to practice, and he didn't play the night before, so he'd be there ready to go. He would dog me all over the court. John has one of those, had a physical heart that was just incredible. I mean, he could run forever. But there was something about John that was even greater, is he had a heart for God. I would call him a starter in the kingdom of God while I was still on the bench. He literally prayed me through college. 
Uh, I didn't tell you this when I was applying for this job, but I got kicked out three times. <laughs> These are the kind of things you reveal on your way out. <laughs> You've heard about the infamous punch, so you know, why not let it all out there where it's uh, true and be formed? But as a young man, he was a prayer warrior. He literally prayed for me day after day after day that I would get a heart after God. And I can tell you, at some point, his prayer started to take effect. And I began moving in that way. He's pastored a church in Milford, Connecticut for 33 years. Their whole church could probably fit in four pews here. Never be written up in Christianity Today for one of the greatest churches in America. Not really recognized in multiple places, but faithful year after year to serve people and to be engaged in them. A heart after God. Last Sunday, he was getting ready for worship, and he was in the back room praying with some people, and he had a massive heart attack and dropped dead on the spot. I purposely said that John and I are 57. I didn't say he was 57 for this reason. We've each experienced the first 57 years of our eternity. And in that moment, John was transported from a place that requires a physical heart to a place where he exists with his Savior forever. And when he's in heaven... No one's going to say you took a slingshot and brought a giant down. No one's going to say you took the jaw of a donkey and took out a hundred people. No one's even going to say he pastored an amazing church. But I can imagine Jesus walking around heaven with his arm around John and saying, a man after my own heart. Moses, have you met John? <laughs> a man after my own heart. David, another guy who got it. So how's your heart? God wants all of it. Amen.